what we see across is yes uh, uh, the foot uh, the map what you are seeing is the footfall of islam the second largest religion of the world so it has reached everywhere and it's very prominent in most of the parts of the world perhaps this was how islam adopted the calendar at ah because and uh, if you once further dwell into the history of heraclius we will find a lot of resemblance interestingly this structure which i was talking about dome of rock which was built in 691 ad and this is from the place where muhammad is supposed to have gone to the heavens does not mention at all about the incidents of the mirage rather it is captured into a mosque which was built around two decades after this structure about what is happening all over the world currently we saw a lot of uh, islamic attacks uh, islamic rather islamic extremism attacks happening in corners of the world whether it was in paris or it was in india in the form of anti ca protest or what we saw uh, happening somewhere in the other parts of the europe many incidences came across and the thing what really intrigued me most was uh, the letter which osama bin laden had written while declaring his jihad against united states of america so he goes on to quote the religious scripture while declaring his jihad so the things were quite disturbing i was quite disturbed that one of the faith which is one of the second largest of the world is the books of the same is being used to really terrorize people and sermon the terror upon them this was really baffling and i was looking to find answer for the subject so when initially i took up the subject it was all about like how most of the times we engage in looking at the character of prophet muhammad then i got a certain realization that you know that okay if some people are believing in the prophet muhammad so it's their faith so it perhaps would not be the right to really question the faith every now and then india is a nation where we have got amalgamation of so many faiths so many religions so many things are here all across with us and so is with the globe now it has become very diverse so when given given circumstances if someone cannot think about that you know you cannot live without the other faith every faith is going to exist with us it was important to really respect the other faith and at the same time really look into the problems and the issues what are there at hand and what i really observed is that islam is something which has gone through tremendous changes it went across tremendous revolution and changes with the time uh the books were changed the narrative were changed so the narrative of islam what you see today is actually not the uh, the true narrative of islam so in my opinion it's all about uh, uh, i have named two things the two things are i call my theory as eit eit is what most of the people are familiar with as the sinister part of it as aryan uh, aryan invasion theory but my eit is alternative islamic theory and we have got sin sin that is sin what i call is standard islamic narrative 
so what we have today on plate or what we all of us are being told is the standard uh, uh, tale of uh, islam that where it originated and how it was so it's most of the text what has been subscribed in the standard islamic narrative that has become the part of historic academia as well we read it as history uh, there has not been very strong questioning and reasoning about the subject so uh, and when we look onto the subject this itself is so intense that you first need to really look that what exactly was happening in arabia in the 7th century not now you need to look at the what other sources are talking about the 7th century arabia you need to look about whether what we are told that qasim bin qasim invaded us in 712 ad the huge 70 year old guy and he devastated whole of the sind but did it really happen or was it just a, a figment of uh, imagination created to show that yes we are the powerful one and we are going to conquer you because one among us who was just 17 year old came and ravaged your mighty sin and the mighty raja dahir was defeated if you you will be surprised to know that first time about bin qasim was written in late 9th century it happened in 895 ad but he invaded in 712 ad so isn't it a red flag that why we are told his story after 170 years interestingly what is told that time is also a very brief account it's not a very detailed account you get the detailed account from chanchanama chanchanama was also uh, is a, now the most important source to understand that what happened in sin it's very important source to understand that what who was bin qasim again this is happening around 405 years after this incident had happened and this also was commissioned book by one of the invader so why so that that period was such that if you show more of your power then the more you are able to even trample the people because literature was always a source of a uh, uh, political power whoever was in power used to create the literature by their own ways and so was the case with bin qasim too so there are a lot of red flags and we need to really run a due diligence around the subject and uh, once i started running the due diligence some very uh, some facts which came across startled me because i too was uh, fed with the same narrative what we all of us are often used to that uh, islam started in 7th century it was started by someone named prophet muhammad and uh, yes it grew a lot and it was expanding and expanding with we are also told that islam spread through the peace and there are many such narratives uh, which are running around so today uh, what i am looking to do is basically tell you people about what are the historical issues with islam why we need to question islam then i will go on to explore into that what is my theory i will be inducing rather than uh, uh, introducing i will be inducing this topic about uh, about the origin of islam so this is what i was introducing everyone this is ait and 
what we see across is yes uh, uh, the foot, uh, the map what you are seeing is the footfall of islam the second largest religion of the world so it has reached everywhere and it's very prominent in most of the parts of the world now this is a coin which i am showing to all of you and you will be this coin belong to the heracles and uh, it was minted in 639 ad it's a Damas it was minted in damascus and it has a year mentioned as 17 now 639 minus 17 if you do if you do a bit of math you get 622 ad 622 ad is the period when the al hijri starts or the period of exodus when muhammad went to medina and that's why that period is so important and we have the ah like al hijri but here it seems to be coming from augustus heraclius and it might be that perhaps this was how islam adopted the calendar at ah because and uh, if you once further dwell into the history of heraclius we will find a lot of resemblance so this is something which i will reveal upon later but uh, today so this largely is the classical saying of islam that in 570 ad muhammad was born 610 ad he met jibril in the hira cave 610 to 622 he received the makkan revelations in 621 the incidents of miraj happens where he goes to seven heavens and brings back five prayers now this is a very important aspect of 621 ad because this incidents of miraj from wherever it occurred is the is currently located in the place called dome of rock this is a structure built in jerusalem by abdul malik in 691 ad and interesting point is that though this is the point from where muhammad is supposed to have transcended to the heavens he actually flew uh, flew on the wing horse called burak from uh, makkah to jerusalem with the jibril and he was further taken to the heavens and from there he went to the seven heaven he met the god allah allah gave him 50 prayers then he went down came down to the fifth heaven where he met moses moses said it's way too much then he went to allah he came back back by 45 and then moses again said it's too much and then with the back and forth it was decided moses said finally to muhammad now you have got the five prayers no now go back it's perfectly all right so that's the significance of five prayers but in um, interestingly this structure which i was talking about dome of rock which was built in 691 ad and this is from the place where muhammad is supposed to have gone to the heavens does not mention at all about the incidents of the mirage rather it is captured into a mosque which was built around two decades after this structure which is uh, which was built by the son of abdul malik now in 622 is the period of hijra which we discussed earlier that uh, it also has got the match with the coin of the herculean coin 622 632 he received the revelations in madina in 630 he conquered makkah peacefully 632 he is supposed to have died by poisoning 
uh, it's not mentioned in Quran. Then we have got the series of uh, uh, the caliphs. Now, interestingly, we don't have the primary sources for mention of all these caliphs. No one talks about Abu Bakr or Umar or Uthman. Now, so where now uh, the narrative which I told you right now is what we find in the history books as well. But what is the source of all these narratives? So the source of these narratives were something which was written around 200 years or rather two centuries after the demise of Muhammad. Muhammad is supposed to have died in 632 AD. Now the first reference is 765. Ibn Ishaq, he writes Siratul Rasulullah, but reference of it also appears in the 833 book written by Ibn Hisham, where he mentions that Ibn, he got the work of Ibn Ishaq. So we don't have the work of Ibn Ishaq as well. So the first account of Muhammad's biography is being written after 201 years after his demise. Now, it really is a red flag that he was such a great man, such a great prophet. But what it took for the people to take 200 years to write down his story. This is quite intriguing. Then in age 70, we have got the first hadith of Al-Bukhari then followed by the Hadith of Muslim and Tirmidhi and so on and on. In 923, we have got Al-Tabari's Tafsir and Tariq. Now, all these things are happening centuries after the demise of Muhammad. We don't have any written record of Muhammad, Arabic record of Muhammad till that period. Now, what is furthermore interesting that Al-Bukhari was given some 7 lakh of uh, uh, the hadiths, the sayings of Muhammad. He rejected 98.2% of them and brought it down to a very lesser number. He used only 1.8% of it. He says that he rejected those narratives which he found that perhaps they won't be the apt one. Now, we need to ask that who really gave the authority to Bukhari to decide that those 98.2% were not the correct one. Perhaps those 98.2% might have been the correct one because he is deciding all these things well after two and a half centuries from the demise of Muhammad. Muhammad is not there to testify that what has been said is the correct one. Now, we have a very uh, interesting thing in the Islamic narrative. They come up with the concept of chain of the narration. Now, chain of narration is something which we should not rely upon when this becomes a kind of evidence in 7th century. Because in the 7th century, everyone was able to read and write, right? We had a lot of literature in India. Even we get the reference of Ayodhya uh, from the inscription from 1st century BC. So we have Ayodhya, though the incidence of Ayodhya is supposed to have happened a lot, lot ago. That time, people are able to read and write. And interestingly, Islam had spread to quite a big distance. So what you see in this map, and especially in the yellow color, is something which uh, is said that caliphs had already captured and spread Islam into these lands. And all these land people were quite literate. And we also have got these incidences of the golden period of Islam and whatnot. So definitely people were able to read and write. 
they also say that the quran was supposed to have been written by that time so if quran was written why not hadith there's also a saying that they followed the chain of narration in order to avoid any corruption that if you write it down anyone can corrupt it so why so was uh, so same would if we apply the same logic to quran then why it should have been written then you should have kept it in the older tradition as well you should not have written it for 200 years so somehow the logic don't give us the a uh, lot of support to the standard islamic narrative now i have got this diagram which uh, i will uh, discuss further more in detail in perhaps in upcoming lectures this is the red flag one of hadiths what we see what i have done here is that and yes do uh, ignore this map of india this uh, i i took this map from a world map and somehow this is a distorted indian map which is legally not correct so uh yes so this map is trying to map where the hadiths were written or where the place of the origin of those hadith writer and where they were located in the context of makka and after how many years did this happen so i have considered the six canonical books of hadith which are considered to be the most important one so what you see the red dot here is the sahih al bukhari compiled by muhammad al bukhari at bukhara around 846 ad then the cyan color what you see here is the sahih muslims compiled by muslim ibn al hajaz at nishapur around second half of the 9th century then you have got this purple color one this is suna abu daud compiled by abu daud basra in 9th century now what is interesting among all these hadiths is the distance from makka they say that they had collected the hadiths from the place of makka and madina but we don't have any sources for that but all these things where these people come from they all are coming from distance of 4000s of kilometer 3000 of kilometer 2600 kilometer 3500 kilometer and the least is 1700 kilometers away from makka so this exactly is a red flag which should be raised and the questions be asked Oh, some has actually uh, got through a lot of scholarly criticism, and which kind of really helped me to build my narrative further. Uh, it was said by Humphreys in 1991, and uh, he says that Islam, as we know it, did not exist in the seventh century, but evolved over a period of 200 to 300 years. And somehow, my studies also reflect the same thing. the quran probably was not revealed to one man in 22 years but likely evolved over a period of 50 to 100 years this is what ripen is saying lester is saying and vansberg also is agreeing to it now very interesting thing cook had given a conclusion cook and robinson the history of islam at least from the time of caliph abdul malik 685 to 74 ad and before is a later fabrication now the concerns are we have a lot of concerns uh, with the narratives what we have if so much of history of early islam was written down so late then why did it take so long to write it all down were these people not literate where did this biographers get the material from can it really be trusted 
should we not instead go to the period of these where these events took place so that's what i was saying that we need to go back to the 7th century the 6th century where all these things are happening we need not trust the books which are written in the 9th century to tell about the story which should have happened in 7th century so uh, yeah so uh, I, I, and so there are a lot of references which initially i had come across the works of Westbrook, Hutching, Crone, Ripon, Hoyland, Neville, and all these, and especially the work of Oleg is very important because uh, his work in the terms of uh, the Islamic manuscript is terrific. So these are few books which uh, one must initiate to read to understand that what's happening around. So uh, many times the Islamists may confront people that. if you are considering these as the sources and somehow these are not reliable but uh, you know it's not about the name calling or it's not about really uh, you know uh, choosing my narrative or others narrative it's uh, human being has got certain rational logic we need to apply our own rational logic while reading these books and when i read all these books and further i connected with my own studies the things were really agreeing to what all these people were trying to say and especially the third book the quranic geography where dan gibson a third generation archaeologist has really uh, ripped apart the concept of that the uh, qiblas always faced makkah his studies shows us that initially the qibla were facing petra then not petra nor makkah and then later on they started facing makkah so coming back to the issues again in the quran we have got 65 geographical references and only nine places are named if i just do a comparative study in context of say if i pick ramayan then all the geographical locations and the references which are mentioned are named we have got names of them and now you can locate all those places still now so somehow Quran really fails the test of the geography. In the contrast, the Ramayan really stands very strong and stood as Mahabharat in terms of the geographical references. So only nine places are named, as I mentioned, and the first place is the place of the earth, and you see where it's located. Muhammad is said to have met the people of earth on the daily basis twenty-three times. but where makkah is located makkah is located here if muhammad was out here in makkah how was he communicating with the people of earth 23 times at a so much frequent basis this is a red flag that he meets the people of the thamud that is the people of the nabitians he is supposed to have met thamud people 24 times again this is so far from makkah then is said to have he met the people of median who are also called medianites now this is again not so close to makkah definitely you cannot go on to meet them on a frequent basis and they must be very and all these three civilizations are located in not in the northern arabia this is a northern part of the arabia and my thesis also is that actually origin of islam happened in the northern arabia not in the southern arabia what is claimed not around makkah but it was happening around so by the geographical references mentioned in uh, quran somehow 
Muhammad needs to be placed in close proximity of these three places. Otherwise, how was he able to meet the people of Earth so frequently? He didn't have such technology that time. We never had technology to really, you know, because even uh, when it comes to the story of the, uh, the five prayers, he flying onto the Burak, we will have to the, give the liberty to the writer of Quran, uh, uh, the liberty of imagination. It can be the figment of imagination. It can be certain kind of metaphor. But when we come down to some really uh, more original, more realistic things like Muhammad meeting the people of Earth or Muhammad meeting the people of Thamud, this becomes really alarming that he is not so close to them. So how was he able to meet them? Now, Makkah has got certainly a lot of issues. And uh, uh, I'm looking to do a separate uh, uh, lecture on Makkah completely where I will really explain that what exactly the Makkah was. And, and my recent study also reveals that we need to read Makkah and Kaaba in isolation. Not necessarily Makkah was Kaaba, even when it was being talked about in the earlier period. So this is 48.24 Surah. I have picked the translation by Pithal, which is considered to be one of the most authentic one in the English. And he mentions that in the Valley of Makkah. So Makkah is definitely not the valley for sure. And then 3.96 of the Quran says that talks about Bakka and people try to relate and say that perhaps maybe that Bakka is the Makka. It would be because the word would have just gone that way. Now you need to read it very carefully. What it says that behold the first temple house ever set as for the mankind was indeed the one at Bakka rich in blessing and a source of guidance unto all the worlds. So it's the guidance unto the worlds. It means that all the world is kind of connected and most of the things have emerged from here. But uh, unfortunately, what we see the Makkah today, we don't have any archaeological references of any kind of civilization from Makkah whatsoever. Forget the Muhammad Sarah. We don't have anything from the period of the 5th century or 6th century as well. We should talk about the civilization. I am talking about civilization. I am not talking about just random thing being picked out as a evidence of people living there. There is a difference because Makkah is being considered uh, as the core of the civilization as per the Islamic tradition. But somehow the archaeological evidences don't go by that. So it has got minimum vegetation. In the valley, with a, uh, as per the Islamic tradition, it is supposed to be in a valley with a stream, with fields, trees, grass, clay, loam. But everything listed above is not there because the Makkah, what we see today, is arid and dry. Kaaba mentioned often, but we are only told that it resides in the mother of all the settlements. It comes from Surah of Quran 6.92 and 42.5. Mother of all settlements. This is what I was talking about. If Makkah is the mother of all the settlements, then why we don't have any archaeological references whatsoever from even 5th century? You, mother of settlements need to be flourishing with the time, but it doesn't. And then tradition tells us that it is where Adam and Eve were cast down to. So what had happened when sin occurred, then they were thrown in Makkah. But it doesn't match with the earlier Abrahamic works because the earlier Abrahamic works don't agree to this thought. Then Makkah is supposed to be the center of trade, not to south, east to west. 
as per the Islamic tradition, but that again is not the case. Now I am showing you a map which has been taken from the work of Patricia Crone. Now uh, Islamists have got certain hate for Patricia Crone because when she wrote this book on the Meccan trades, she had really brought down the curtain from uh, the narrative which had been created was centering Makkah as the source of the Islam and whatnot because when she traced her and Patricia Crone was a genius she passed away a few years back but she was a genius who knew 15 archaic languages when I say 15 archaic languages knowing she could read and write those languages right so she was definitely an expert of the maps of that period she could so this is what has been traced from a Greek map, where if we see that uh, Makkah is nowhere mentioned, we don't have any mention of Makkah at all. And somehow we see that Petra is mentioned, but Petra is well connected. It can be the center of the trade routes. It is connected east, west, south. It can connect to the Silk, Silk Route and it can connect to the down south, the up north. And also, what is interesting is that Petra, from the Petra, one can easily use a sea route to do the trading. But sea route was not very much feasible from Makkah. Because, uh, and why I'm emphasizing on the sea route, because still now, if you do want to do the trade, sea route is the source. You can't trade by the routes because still sea route is considered to be one of the most economical and the most viable to do the trading. So these all things indicate that Makkah was not existing in that period. So earliest literary reference to Makkah existence come from the apocalypse of the pseudo Methodius uh, Continuo Byzantina Arabica. This is for the first time when Makkah has been mentioned. It happens in 6, 741 AD. The earliest map don't show Makkah until 980, which I was speaking about. Makkah is nowhere found. And I was talking about Patricia Crone. She says that Greek trading document referred to the towns of Taif, that is southeast of Makkah, Yatrib, which was later known as Manina, Khyber. But it never talks about Makkah. So Greeks were not lying. They were honest about it. Yeah. So again, because we're talking about Makkah, so Qibla must comes into play. So direction of Qibla is changed and it's noticed in 624 AD as per the Quranic tradition. But Quran also doesn't say from where. Archaeology also supports that the Qibla was changed. I will discuss about it that what Dan Gibson had done to Qibla and Makkah. So archaeology supports it. But this change is not from Jerusalem to Makkah as per the Islamic tradition. But it is from Petra. And uh, one needs to refer to the surah 2.143 to 145 of Quran to know about the Qibla change. So uh, these are the works which I have taken from Dan Gibson. And uh, he had really gone on to visit a lot of mosques from the early 7th century to the 8th century and even to the 9th century. And what was very interesting that earlier... Uh, now he can be considered as a Qibla king because he has really visited a lot of mosques and he has established that how the Qibla ship was happening. But earlier Qibla king was David uh, was a man named King. He was a, he's a scholar of uh, he's, he's Islamic scholar. 
and he couldn't tolerate the work done by Dan Gibson because it happens and in the scholarly world if when someone comes up with a new thesis and your thesis looks like outdated one then you kind of uh, create uh, jealousy and what not but there were many things and he wrote papers to really denounce the work of uh, Dan Gibson but what is most interesting here is that king visited only one mosque in whole his research of the qibla but dan gibson did visit more than 80 mosques and he really went on to the site to establish that where the qibla walls are facing his thesis was all about establishing that how because qibla wall i am sure that people would be knowing but just to give a brief idea in the structure still now qibla wall is a wall in all places where supposed to face and pray because this wall faces the place of the god or the place of allah that is in makkah currently so he observed that initially this wall was facing petra and not makkah so uh, if i look for his studies so what we see is quite interesting so this is the what we see on the left is the mosque as the fustat is facing petra the mosque at kufa is facing petra the mosque at wasit is facing petra so we see that the, and these three mosques are uh, in the early periods so uh, they are facing uh, not facing makkah but petra now we have got a documental uh, evidence of qibla uh, it is from the jacob of edisa he says that uh, he refers to maghrib maghrib is nowhere but the muslims so from all this it is clear that it is not to the south that the jews and the maghrib here in the regions of syria pray but towards jerusalem or the kaaba so he's talking about kaaba he is not talking about makkah he is not talking but he is differentiating it from jerusalem right and if we and the, and the this is the patriarchal places of the races now the initially i said that kaaba and makkah has to be read uh, not together but they can be different places so he perhaps Jacob of Edessa was referring to Kaaba, which necessarily was not in Makkah, or maybe there were many, many Kaabas. We don't know exactly. So there would have been many particular places or places. So and this comes up. I spoke about that uh, for the first time. Makkah appears in the Byzantine Arabic chronicle of 741, where it says it talks about. Uh, Abdul Malik. This is the terms of uh, the an archaic language. Where Abdul Malik, assuming the apex of his kingdom, ruled for twenty years. In the first year of his rule, he directed all the experience and the virtue of the mind of his army against Abdullah. That is Abdullah al Zubair, whom his father had attacked so many times in various wars, all the way finally to Makkah, as they consider it the home of Abraham. which lies in the desert between ur of the chaldeans and the kara of the city of mesopotamia so what is this hinting to this is then if we look at the source and try to decode it we need to decode these words and then we will find that somehow the 741 source is suggesting that makkah is located somewhere here between edisa and Kare, it because it's clearly stating it's between Edessa. So the first time mention of Makkah appears in 741. That too, 
when you redo a bit of geographical work which i did here just a basic plotting on the list you will find that it's facing somewhere here so now uh, we also have the modern ur is located somewhere down the south so people may come up with the argument that it's located between this ur can be on this side so perhaps makkah is somewhere a bit bottom but then also it's still way well above uh, the current makkah it doesn't support that idea as well so again about a century uh, we have got uh, writings of john bar panke in 687 ad which talks about a uh, century in the south so we will so again uh, i picked the work of jacob uh, bishop of edisa where he has i was talking about kaaba and he is not talking about makkah so again when this is a text of him but when we again try to plot where makkah is coming as per that literature that also is coming somewhere near jordan maybe it was petra so all the so we need to collate the sayings of all those people with a bit of geographical analysis we need to plot them onto the map and the descripting things will start becoming very much clear and we will find that the narrative uh, or what i call as sin or sin that the standard islamic narrative is somehow full of a lot of uh, created fictions and it's not very apt now there are a lot of uh, islamic uh, apologists uh, who come up with an idea that perhaps ptolemy was uh, everyone ptolemy was a greek geographer talks about makkah and he names it makuraba which actually patricia crone had not accepted and she had given a linguistic logic to it that why it cannot be makkah and per, and indeed her logic was very apt because and one has to agree to her because she is ex, she was expert of 15 archaic languages the languages which we can't read or write but she was expert of it so if one wants to really refer to her one needs to be equally good in those languages that is the greek language and the uh, other archaic languages of that period so now makuraba is located at certain coordinate one can trace it under the map because uh, ptolemy had given the uh, uh, coordinates now when we plot these coordinates onto the current map this is where the current makkah needs to come if that makuraba is to be accepted as the makkah so somehow the coordinates are not letting us accept the whole argument of makuraba being mentioned as makkah in the 3rd century so uh, we will for actually deal with this in much more detail when i explain about makkah in, in upcoming lecture so then i will go into the etymology and the linguistic factors and many other aspects of makkah and what it is so again coming back to a few word of gibson it has been taken from gibson's work directly so this is the job mosque in building 6780 here the qibla this is where the mosque is and the qibla is facing petra and makkah is located somewhere here and again um, there have been certain kind of logic people say that maybe that uh, it's just a few shift of the direction 3 4 degrees and the stuff like that but actually the people of arabia were very good in locating the sky the stars 
because they were too good in the direction. They were not laymen's because they were living in the deserts. If you don't know the exact direction of desert, you will die off because you will not be able to find the oasis. So your directions is very much important. So that deviation kind of argument is not acceptable. They were very clearly aware about what the directions is. And this is the, this face is Petra. Then this is the Humima Mosque in southwestern Jordan. Here again, the Qibla is facing Petra. Interestingly, here in this case, Mecca is down this side. So it cannot work. It's exactly opposite. This is the great mosque of Balbek in Lebanon. Here, the Qibla is facing Petra and not Mecca. And, you know, uh, there's also certain kind of logic. This is exactly making a right angle that is 90 degree with the Petra, but it's not making so with Mecca. Coming to the great mosque of Sana'a, uh, where uh, and the museum of the same, we have got one of the oldest Quran manuscripts, what they say. We'll also talk about Quran sometime later in another lecture, that whether these are the oldest one or not. So Sana'a is in the capital city of Yemen in 705 AD. Here also the Qibla is facing Petra. It's not facing Mecca. This is the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. Uh, remember, initially I spoke about the Dome of Rock. And with the Dome of Rock, uh, and I said that there's a mosque where, which was built later by uh, the son of uh, Abdul Malik. This is the place which actually carries the incidents about, the incidents of Miraj, where how Muhammad brought in the five, five prayers. But this was built later. But interestingly, this mosque, also doesn't have Qibla wall facing Petra. And despite being in Jerusalem, it's not facing the temple of Jerusalem, but it is facing towards uh, the uh, towards Petra. Now, uh, Mecca is absolutely different direction. Now, this is a Damascus mosque of 79. This is facing Petra too. Now, in 714 AD, Anjar mosque in Lebanon, it's facing Petra not Mecca, we all can see it. The Mosque of Umar, that is in Bosra, Syria, 720 AD, it is again facing Petra. Interestingly, Pakistan comes like an odd one out in 727 AD too, and here the mosque built is facing Mecca. Now, this is a Qasr al-Hayyad al-Shayashaki in Syria, Syria in 728. This is facing neither Petra nor Mecca. I said initially that initially the mosque used to have Qibla facing Petra and then not, not to Petra nor Mecca and later on to Mecca. This is the, in 728, it is facing neither Petra nor Mecca. Now Qibla changes are happening between 700 to 740 AD. This is the Amman mosque, the lower buildings with the Qibla facing Petra were built around 780 AD. And the upper buildings has got with the Qibla facing Mecca around 740 AD. So we can see that in the same place, we have got two Qiblas facing two different places. It is very interesting. Yeah. So this is the Mushata Mosque of Amman in 743, still facing Petra, not Mecca. This is the Ribat Fortress in Susa, Tunisia, 770 AD. It is neither facing Petra nor Mecca. Neither again, neither Petra nor Mecca in 784. This is the Cordoba, Spain. 
neither Petra nor Mecca. This is a great mosque of uh, Cairo, Tunisia. Now, what we come to a conclusion is very interesting. This all the qiblas were facing towards Petra until 725 AD. The qibla was not finalized towards Mecca until 822 AD. That is almost after 190 years after the demise of the Prophet Muhammad. Now, what chart you see below is the chart of Dan Gibson, where he has brought down conclusion quite well. He says that 622 AD to 725 AD, the mosques are facing Petra. 725 to 822, it's a confusing period. 12% point to Petra, 50% point to Mecca, and 38% point parallel. This parallel means if you draw a line between Mecca and Petra, then the lines which will be parallel to it. So few mosques were facing having a duration that is parallel to the line drawn between Mecca to Petra. And this was actually happening. This is the period of the civil war uh, where the Abbasids and the Umayyads were in confrontation. And the people who were unable to decide that whether they aligned with Umayyad or whether they aligned with the Abbasids, they were in case of confusion, so their Qiblas were facing neither to Mecca nor Petra. So necessarily, Mecca is the Qibla of the Abbasids and the Petra is the Qibla of Umayyas. We will deal with it in a lot more detail when we deal with this whole issue of Qibla, Blackstone and Mecca. So uh, this is, Petra is indeed the center of trade. Uh, this is the where it's located and uh, we spoke about it earlier too. And Petra is indeed the city of tombs and temples. All the description kind of matches. And it has in a valley with a parallel valley, with stream, with fields, trees. And it suffices all the kinds of requirements which has to be for the place of profit. So uh, Quran doesn't talk about Makkah. So it talks about the place of profit. So all these characters somehow go very well with the situation in Petra. So... What is the historical assessment concerning al-Islam? Now, uh, it is first Arabic inscription referring to Muhammad is in 691. It happens in uh, uh, the Dome where the, for the first time the word Muhammad appears. Muhammad was never spoken in any Arabic source before that. So it's again very interesting that it's been 60 years, but no Arabic source is talking about the great Arab prophet. The first non-Muslim reference to Muslims until 690s. So we first get it in 690s. This is also very interesting. There is no word called Muslim. The first Arab reference to Muslim is just prior to 749 AD. Then the first reference to Islam is not until 691. We spoke about the Dome of Rock. First reference to Makkah is not until 741. We spoke about it too. The first biography of Muhammad within Islamic sources is not till 833. That is so with the Quran also there are certain amount of problem. That the first reference of possible Quranic material is in 691, which is the Dome of Rock. The first reference uh, to an Arab scripture is in 717 AD. The first reference to Quran in non-Muslim sources and not till 740, right? First reference to a pre-canonical Quran is around 743 AD, bit too late. The first reference to Qurans on Muslims inscription, not till 750s. None of the earliest Quran manuscripts appeared before the 8th century. 
many of them have manuscript variants. We will deal with the Quran also sometime. So, conclusions uh, are that new literatures uh, must bring following why there are no Muslim sources for 200 years. Why do the claims? Uh, why do the claims they make not fit the historical record? Why are the geographical references so few and confusing? We. Uh, why do they all seem to be much further north? See, I said that uh, it's all happening in the north and not in the south. Why are there so many references to vegetation which would exist in Makkah? Why Makkah is not mentioned until 741 AD, nor included until 900 AD? Why is Makkah not on the trade route? So much of that we know about early Islam is in doubt. Much of Quran is also in doubt. So uh, there, there are a lot of issues. So, uh, so, uh, so coming back to uh, the Rook of uh, Dome of Rock, which I spoke about, which has got the first reference of the Muslims. So, what is more intriguing that this has got the first Quranic verses uh, inscription. So, this has got certain writing about uh, from the Quran. Now, what is written in Dome of Rock? has got more sentences than what is in the Quran. So it means that the Quran had copied the things from what was written in this very structure. Now, what does this structure talks about? This structure is supposed to signify the flying of Muhammad from that place to the seventh heaven. But it doesn't talk about that. It rather talks about Jesus there. And when it talks about Jesus, it tries to demonize the concept of worshipping Jesus. It goes against Trinity. It, it kind of uh, antagonizes every idea that is Christian in nature by that period. So, and this structure was also built in Jerusalem at a certain elevated height from the existing church. So as to really show uh, the kind of power over the existing Byzantine Empire. So, why Islam was being created? Islam was nothing but the reactions to the existing religions of the time, this Judaic religion, this Judaic sex. So for them, it was more about, uh, and whoever will be in power need to have a prophet, need to have a religion. So this man, Abdul Malik, was in process of creating a faith based on references which were existing by then. So what exactly is the alternative Islamic theory? Alternative Islamic theory is all that Islam originated in the northern belt of the Arabia and the Muhammad of Quran currently had nothing to do with the writing of Quran at all. So just Muhammad existed as a character, but he definitely was not the character of what we are shown as today. So uh, today I will do a bit of uh, induction to that theory. I will not dwell deep into it today, but uh, I, I'll just induce a bit about it so that when we meet next time, we can deal uh, with it further in detail. So as per the standard Islamic narrative, <coughs> the Umayyad leaders of the early caliphates were among the families that had originally followed, followed the Prophet Muhammad. So what you see here is uh, the dark brown color is the expansion under Muhammad. What you see here in the kind of uh, darker orange or a shade 
or a uh, u lower than this is expansion during the patriarchal caliphate that is 632 to 661 this what we see here is the expansion during the umayyad caliphate from 661 to 750 so what becomes very uh, important is to establish or know that who were these umayyad leaders were they really muslims were they following exactly the islam what has been shown to us if we are able to crack this then most of the islamic narrative stands crack in front of us because uh, uh, what generally happens is that umayyad period is considered as one of the most idealistic period by most of the muslims and even the modern muslims of the day always try to base their umayyads as their role model so according to the sin umayyad leaders of the early caliphates were among the families that had originally followed the prophet muhammad hence my thesis is on to check that what exactly was happening with the umayyads so this is what i have taken from the what you see on the screen is the saying by christoph luxemburg where he says that quran intended itself first of all to be understood as nothing more than a liturgical book with selected texts from the scriptures of the old testament and the new testament and not at all as a substitute for the scripture themselves that is an independent independent scripture so Quran if we see today we will find that there is a lot of things which has been taken from a lot of judaic materials even the rituals what you see is very on the judaic lines many scholars also think uh, uh, have been actually raising this question that if umayyad had originally converted to islam or it's more of a kind of a, a consensus which has been established we are made to believe that umayyads are converted to islam so i have actually picked a lot of scholarly works to uh, look into the background of the umayyads for that the syro aramic christian background it was very important to understand and and the one organization which is working very in depth onto the subject this is the uh, inara institute of research on the early islamic history and the quran which is applying as a critical approach to the research and christopher lisenberg is one of the members of the same body so lazenberg uh, also says that the friday prayers come from representing the christian good friday according to him the sacred symbols at the beginning of a number of surahs have syro aramic church origin they constitute instructions such as which class to read and which key to sing in so this is what exactly the quran was this was just acting as a liturgical book liturgical book is nothing but a, a sense of prescription so in context of quran that has always views the jews christian and the sabians as partners like the people of book the findings of luxemburg are not that surprising but seem to shed light on only one element of at least three nevertheless the quran speaks to the audience intimately familiar with the torah the hebrew bible the gospel and the talmud so this uh, is quite an interesting case and we all know that quran actually hates the samaritans as they had mentioned them as touch me not element and it can be found in 20.87 for the quran 20.90 20.96 and 20.97 so uh, these are the things so the we have sparsely found any you know if you look at the quran 
very holistically, we will find that it has not got any kind of innovations, but it was just trying to pick the narrative which were against the, which was towards the hate towards Samaritans. Uh, it was towards the hate of everyone, which we see today as non-Islamic. So Quran was very much as a prescription of a hate to them in many of the cases. For example, when examining the innate hatred of the authors of Quran against the Samaritans as Tashminot, it becomes immediately evident that Judaic insiders were at work. Moreover, a list of Judaic prophets in the Quran is so pinpoint precise that there can be no doubt over its roots. Quran from 6.87 to 6.88 mentions that, and we gave him Isaac and Jacob, and we guided both all right, and we had before guided Noah, and among them, the descendants of the Abraham, David, Solomon, and Job and Joseph, and the Moses and Aaron. Thus, do we recompass the righteous and Jacob's John, Jesus, and Elias? Elias is a key name, which will be important to note because I will talk about the Elias in later on when we talk about Prophet Muhammad. So we see that the uh, Quran is taking a lot of things from the external materials. So the first four Jewish sects from the Prophet Ezra should be at the beginning or should be considered at the beginning of Islamic story. So in my thesis, I consider that the Prophet Ezra has led to the creation of the Islamic story. And then the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD serves as the starting point of the Umayyads. So what we see Umayyads today as the thing had happened in the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. So what had happened in the Council is quite interesting. If we read that what was written according to the Aryan church historian, we believe in the one God, the Almighty Father, maker of all things, visible and invisible, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the God, the only begotten of his Father. So what is happening here with the creed, the council essentially condemned the old pre-Nician beliefs of the arch-Christianity and its sects. The rejection of Jesus as God or consideration as begotten, that is son of God, and the creed's missing crucifixion with the central beliefs of the Syrian Christology, and they would later history surface as the seed of Islam. So, so this essentially is how Islam was originating. So in the Quran 38.3 and 18.3 and 17.11, it does refer to the Nisiak words, what we are talking about. One thing certainly needs to be noted with the narrative of the Nisia. Only seven representatives of the new creed of Jesus, being God, had miraculously outvoted 300 representatives of the widely accepted old creed of Jesus being a human rebel on the mission to redeem Israel. Henceforth, Bishop Arius's defense of the ancient beliefs was treated as if it constituted as an innovation. So, yes, this was the root of the creation of Islam. In the Council of Antioch in 341 AD, it was declared that Jesus as a man and the, with the spirit is constituting the word of the God. The council was backlash that was staged exclusively by the Eastern bishops. Eusebius was a ring leader of that, uh, uh, that rebellion. Eusebius created the geo-spiritual middle position between Alexandria and the Constantinople. So uh, after Nicaea, what happened is further even more interesting. The Jews were expelled east 
and the pre-existing Eastern Christian parties were complemented with several displaced Jewish sects of the Arab Jewish, Judeo-Messianic, Judeo-Trinitarian or Rabbinic origin. The drive from the redemption of Israel, the love for the biblical genealogies and the ritual of re-enactments of the religious dramas would later help to connect the dots. But the tendency of organized religion to assimilate local traditions and bury inconvenient truths would make the work of historians and archaeologists difficult and hazardous. So, uh, and uh, I was taking the name of Patricia Crone, and Patricia Crone once mentioned that one cannot work with the Hadiths. The trouble is uh, in studying these texts is that the post of the Jewish and the Christian undercurrents is unreconcilable with the Muslim narrative. So what actually happens is that Hadiths were based completely on the narratives which happened in the past and what was happening in the Christendom. And a lot of references were taken from them and the whole story was created. And so next is the overwhelming number of surahs in the Quran is of anti-Trinitarian origin. We all know this. And Quran also geared against Israel and the Adam being the sons to God. On the other hand, the anti-Trinitarian stance allows for the separation of a number of sects that would undoubtedly be the opponent of Quran. So the moment you go, so the Christians were also becoming anti-Trinitarian. So that stance really differentiates you from being a Christian. So that is how the ground for the Islam is completely set. And it is assumed that the Umayyads were Muslims and that the Islam's birth pains were related to the pagan remnants in the Makkah. However, the current historicity appears to rest on a whitewashed order of the events that is indicated for an eagerness of actors to be connected and be the supporters of Muhammad. This scenario not only defies the human nature, but also reality of the organized reasons. From the beginning, Judaism and Christianity were in a state of perpetual fragmentation that was triggered by the new books of idea. The slightest deviations in beliefs tended to lead to a fire supposition and bloodshed. And it would thus be foolish to assume the widespread agreement on the Quran that is intrinsically unclear. So despite the risk to ridicule, one might question whether the buried traditions were more reliable while remaining uh, inadmissible than the ones in the portrait in the unity and the quick adoption of Islam. Whereas a matter of curious exercise, the cards were swapped and the Jewish Sabian or the Christian passages were selected and put in the context of the contemporary sources and the Quran's internal evidence, an entirely different history emerges. The account are indeed full of inner or inter-caliphate divisions and religious strife that embedded in the greater sectarian conflicts of the Middle East. Uh, I think that this uh, happens to be the induction towards uh, uh, um, my thesis about um, what, how actually the Islam should have originated. And uh, we will further detail onto this. We will further dwell into the detail, try to explain that how this uh, the incidents of the Nisia and uh, rather the differences among the Christians led to the creation of uh, Islam as a religion.
first question was what uh, you showed me the map of uh, of whole makkah and all so is it possible for a man because he was a human you can say here that he will be a, a something or he will be human only so is it possible to human in the desert to travel so much because that's very far and they i think don't think they will be very much technology like you can sit in a car and you can go so uh, so uh, actually uh, i believe that they will devansh ji is talking about um, uh, what i showed that uh, muhammad used to meet the people of uh, while staying so far away yes so that actually is a red flag and what i am trying to say is that why muslims never ask this questions because it's not about uh, religion or something religion can live in isolation and peace with certain amount of theology but history is something which shouldn't be mixed with religion like how people have been doing and when we mix history and the geography with the theological parts of islam somehow only disappointments come across and they don't agree uh, with the rationality any, any rational or a logical person will say that whatever is being said that muhammad was meeting the people of earth or he was meeting the nabitians which is highly impossible if he was living in makkah so that's why this whole thesis is even even i am not agreeing to the fact that he was meeting all these three communities together or at the same period of time because they three are also quite far off from each other so my thesis is completely based on the fact that yes muhammad is based on uh, the current muhammad's character is based on a character of 7th century muhammad who necessarily was not exactly how he has been shown in quran quran is figment of imagination where a lot of stories have been embedded like i also said that perhaps we need to stop ridiculing about the flying horses and things like that instances because that can be metaphorical let's take it as a metaphor a uh, matter of faith or something like that but relevant questions must be asked that how actually like how you all said that how muhammad was able to travel down from makkah to the people of earth or the people of nabi uh, nabi is highly impossible so that Uh, i have a second question that uh, you said about the masjids and uh, like petra and uh, mecca today's mecca so can't it be possible that uh, the political leader would have uh, they would be have a political shift like a leader uh, have told that this is petra's main or uh, after some time uh, the leader came to mecca now mecca will be my Uh, politically, uh, Rajdhani is capital. Political capital. You are exactly on to the dot. This is what the point was. Petra, the shifting of uh, the Kibla happened because of political ambitions, and uh, that's why you, in the meantime, see that uh, the Kiblas were neither facing Mecca nor they were facing Petra. They were facing somewhere else. they were facing in the direction of the line drawn between petra and makka it was because they were unable to decide whether they are going to side with the abbasids or they are going to side with the umayyads and that was the phase of the civil war and the what you see today qibla location uh, qibla direction that is of makka is the abbasid creation and petra and the northern arabia was about the umayyads right and unfortunately the abbasids burned down all the books of the umayyads so it has become very tough to know that what exactly was happening in the 7th century 
so we have to rely upon the non arabic sources who were saying something and like i mentioned jacob abdisa mentioning about kaaba uh, like i also mentioned the mention of uh, makkah in 741 ad what the uh, what the script is saying what the inscription is saying it gives you direction when you just do a bit of geography plot it down and place it it is definitely not where makkah sits today and my thesis or my uh, understanding now also is that makkah and kaaba were two distinct different things kaaba was a place of god but makkah necessarily was not where the kaaba was always supposed to be so we will need to read it into distinct uh, ideas kaaba is different and makkah is different uh thank you abbas ji and thank you sangam talks uh, i have only two questions so uh, one question is uh, uh do you do you also believe that uh, there is one shivling in makkah and the second question is that uh, uh there have been lot of uh, claims that uh, uh, in, in the quran it is written that uh, the followers of maryam 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 isa and muhammad uh, will invade india so what do you think on the security and the uh civilizational perspective what can we do about it we the sanatanis and legally also yeah see uh, the first thing is that uh, i have not got very concrete proof for the black stone being shivling because the black stone today stands as three broken stones and it has got the shape of a shivling because it has been casted into a silver thing to protect it because it was broken so they tarred it with the cement and joined uh, it together and perhaps the stone was also broken uh, because of all these incidents of uh, the civil wars when all these things happened and uh, this never had the shape of shivling as per any records but uh, so uh, and uh, my idea always has been that let, let us not uh, assume anything to be right or swing to our narrative if uh, uh, the figment of evidence is not that strong just based on the saying of someone so i have not accepted it for, as per my studies and uh, as far as uh, the attack on india is concerned or things like that see uh, for me first of all quran is a creation not of the muhammad period for me the quran is something which developed with the period of time and it has been adapted from a lot of judaic literature and when i say judaic don't confuse it with the jews the judaic includes a lot of religion uh, and uh, all these texts were collated and a book was created so maybe that because we don't as literature of umayyads maybe that umayyads were really a peaceful people we don't know because we don't have any literature of them we don't exactly know that how actually the islam was supposed to live as we are just basing uh, our argument based on the literature which is created in 9th century by abbasids because the hadith were commissioned by the abbasids and all these literatures uh, you will find it very interesting that hadith creation multiplied with with the coming wars the more the war the more hadith were created so hadith were the tool to glorify or empower the ruler of that time literature was uh, even the powerful one tool of that time so also hadiths kind of many times demonize the umayyad rulers right so this is very interesting that there is a umayyad ruler who has been praised everywhere like in the spanish records 
in the contrast he has been demonized in so we have to consider these uh, arabic literature or the literature um, uh, what exists just as a figment of imagination of the people and yes if people try st start assuming this figment of imagination as a truthful thing like if someone goes on to behave someone like uh, samuel patty just taking inspiration from someone so yes those kind of madness will exist but we need to really tell that yes islam has changed a lot with time it was not something which was unchangeable it is changeable because it changed and today you are following islam which is the wahhabi islam and uh, it's not exactly the islam what existed in the 7th century so yes islam has a scope of reformation because islam really changed it is it kept on changing by it itself like the literature what you have was not the literature what it was supposed to be right so those who wrote the literature related days just to um, show themselves the most powerful one or to really impose the idea that there can be no other words apart from our word being the last made this sanctions but people need to go beyond the 9th century and start changing the narrative okay uh, so sir uh... if you try to say in something they say that uh, this is blasphemy we are going to be had you all that happens and uh, now uh, what do you think can be done uh, when uh, you know that that is also a form of idol if i am question they are saying that uh, you can't this is blasphemy all that happens so so do you think that is hypocrisy shouldn't it be edited the quran so as far as the blood see uh, uh, as i said that the first thing would be that uh, we will have we are sitting in a situation where we will really have to set aside three different things when i say three things one is the politics the second is theology and the third is history and uh, history needs to be read separately because uh, i as a person who takes interest in history will not be able to control emotion of anyone whoever he she may be but uh, what we can always do as a community is that tell set the right perspective if someone is going to just repeat what happened with samuel patty or things like that so it doesn't mean that uh, we will uh, start setting the narrative in the wrong direction that happened because of the understanding of the theology now theology is being understood that way because someone said that it cannot be changed that is also the part of the theology now it becomes a part of history that someone said that this theology cannot be changed but this history is something even more different the if i just go back 50 years from when this was said that this whole idea of muslim being submission to actually sultan and uh, that's where the whole idea comes from we we'll discuss it about later but before that it was uh, not that uh, about submission to the sultan or the caliph it was way more than that it was more of a reaction to the byzantine empire right what was happening that byzantine empire was the most powerful one and they wanted an alternative so when you want an alternative that time you need a religion and you need a new prophet in the market so that is what all happened and once these all things come across and in the clash of muslims really figured okay it's okay if you want to live in a faith that prophet muhammad is a prophet and allah is the god We should not have a problem with it, but do accept that you know you keep your theology to yourself. You should not step out, right? Because theology was concretized by someone for his own political benefit. That was the Abbasids. So they need to 
point, as perhaps if we set the history right, reforms could happen. We can only hope with that. I can't say that history will bring the change, but certainly this is the only way rather than, you know, getting into uh, ridiculing the Islam, which is not the right way, given the situations around. You case of, uh, you told uh, Abu Akbar, including uh, uh, 1.5 from 99.5. So there is no fact that uh, uh, this would be a have a search by any other also. Means, uh, someone have been researched after him because if we are uh, telling that, uh, yes, it is uh, 99.5 are dismissed. So someone will be researched. So either he have uh, uh, created from his mind or there is no research done. Yes, there have been researches and... Uh... Researches, uh, see, uh, more than researches, what we need to do is that things are out there open. Like, we need to refer to the Chinese sources. We need to refer to the Syriac sources. We need to refer everything which is non-Arabic in nature because Arabians were not writing anything about Muhammad that time. So once we start collating those things, what has been written, and then start connecting the dots. So research is nothing but, uh, in this case, collating the facts which happened that time. And after collecting the facts, you need to, uh, first we need to set our hypothesis. My hypothesis was that Islam originated in North, Northern Arabia and didn't originate in the Southern, Arabia, uh, Southern Arabia as claim. Now, after the hypothesis, you set a problem statement that this is a uh, hypothesis as it becomes a problem statement. Then you start experimenting with the sources available that time. So that time you have only few sources. Uh, rather you have sources, but not Arabic sources. You have Chinese sources, you have Syriac sources, you have Greek sources. So once you start collecting those sources, and when you see that they are matching or connecting, then the narrative is set, and then you can come to certain inferences. Now in India, we have not worked much on this idea of looking into the history of Islam in a national direction. Rather, our history itself start with, uh, you know, uh, let's not forget that Pakistan once upon a time was part of India. And their own history in their narrative starts with Bin Qasim. But Bin Qasim never existed, right? Uh, because there is no sources to claim about it. Even now, when we talk about the Islamic invasions, we so much talk about Bin Qasim. We waste a lot of time discussing Bin Qasim. But Bin Qasim never existed. There was no such hero like Bin Qasim. It was, uh, so our direction and the research need to be more on the collation of the facts and drawing inference out of it. In India, we have not done much of a work. West had done a lot of work in this field. 